Are you the guy that thinks that getting saved, being converted to Christ, becoming a Christian is the finish line? Because if it is, you may have stepped over into the promised land of forgiveness and grace, and you are now in the family of God, and yet you stopped the day after you got saved. If that's you, um, the direction of the Christian life is onward. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. The book of Joshua records important events in the nation of Israel's history. After years of wandering in the wilderness, Joshua opens with God's people standing on the banks of the Jordan River, ready to enter the long-awaited promised land. Well, we're so excited to begin a new series through the book of Joshua from Pastor Trent. Today, he'll paint a picture of Israel's history to this point and give us valuable instruction. Just as the Israelites would find out, with God leading the way and fighting the battle, the direction of the believer's life is onward. Here's Pastor Trent. Here's the big idea. I'm going to give you the big idea right at the beginning. The Christian life, the direction of the Christian life is onward. That's what we're going to learn from the book of Joshua. We've got a lot to say about that, but that's where we're going. And it's a good time every time we open up a new series to remind you of some foundational principles that we believe here at Harvest Bible Chapel, particularly related to this book that we hold in our hands, our Bibles. Around here, we believe in the inspiration, the inerrancy, the authority, and the sufficiency of the Scripture. The book we hold in our hands is a book written by God. The reason we know that is because of this verse. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we read this about our Bibles. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for four things. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You got some good work you want to get done? Then you need to be equipped with the Word of God. So around here, what we believe about this book is that a God who exists outside of time and space has spoken into our time and space and given us a self-disclosure of who He is of His will and His ways for us. And so when we come to the Scripture, we say this. We give the Bible the right to determine what we believe and how we are to behave. That is our commitment to the authority of Scripture in our lives. Now, I realize that for some of you, you're not quite there yet. Maybe you're curious. Maybe somebody drug you to church here this morning, and you're like, come on, that book was written by a bunch of men. Well, that's the reason we open it up, and as we read God's Word, it does something in our hearts that no other words of men can do. And so we're here to look at what God has to say to us in a particular place over the next weeks in a book called Joshua. The book of Joshua is found in the Old Testament. But before we read something in the Old Testament, there is a verse in the New Testament that acts as a key 
to insert into the lock of Joshua that will unlock the lock. It is this verse found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Why do we study the Old Testament books and stories and history that was written to ancient Israel thousands of years ago? Because of this verse. Now these things, these things that were written so long ago, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. When we study the Old Testament, and even this book of Joshua, we're not studying it for information. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of geography in this book. We're going to look at some of that. But understand, what we are looking for is not information. What we are looking for is instruction. It was written down for us. Not everything that happened thousands of years ago was written down. But God, in His sovereignty, allowed some things to be written down for our instruction in 2015. That's why we're going to dive into this book. So when we dive into Joshua, we're looking for instruction on how to live in right relationship with God. We're looking for instruction on how to please God. We're looking for instruction on how to live the life God intended me to live in the place that He intended me to live it and have everything that He has for me available. How do I get access to all that God wants for me to live. That's what we're going to learn in the book of Joshua. Now, my table of contents, when I open my Bible, I need a little cheat sheet. I went to public school, so I need a little help. And I've just kind of scribbled around in the Old Testament because I need to know kind of what I should expect when I open up to certain parts of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible is known as the law. The theological term or the Hebrew term is called the Torah. And they were those five books were written by the man named Moses. Now, Joshua is the sixth book, and Joshua was not written by Moses. Do you know why? Because Moses was dead, and Moses was not a good writer when he was dead, so he didn't get around to the book of Joshua. And Joshua picks up right after the death of Moses. And so I, this morning, I was really planning on opening up to Joshua 1 and starting our journey through this book, but I realized there is so much backstory that we've got to understand about the first five books that we're not going to understand the first thing about Joshua until we look at the backstory. So indulge me a little bit. I need to take a little time to do a quick Old Testament survey through the first five books of the Bible. All right? Now, the first verse of the Bible goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And pretty soon we find out that He created a man named Adam. And then he created a woman, an upgrade, man 2.0, woman. And, and they, they were in covenant relationship, one man, one woman, one lifetime, for all for the glory of God, and yet they blew it. They disobeyed God. They wanted to be God. And so they, the first five chapters there of our Bible is this tragic story about how paradise was lost. And then we get to chapter 6 of Genesis, and we find that God moves onward to another guy named Noah. And Noah was a righteous man. And then for about six chapters in the book, there's this tragic story about how there was only evil on the earth continually. And God saved Noah and his family. They get out of the ark and we open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. That's where I want you to go right now. And I want you to turn with me because I want you to mark it up and see where we're going. What you're going to see as we go through these, this quick survey is everything is onward. The direction of the Christian life is 
onward. And so God moves onward past Adam. He moves onward to Noah. He moves onward to this guy in Genesis chapter 12. And this is what God says to this guy named Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, which in and of itself is remarkable. Don't move too too fast. Past the understanding that we have a God who speaks. He communicates. He reveals himself to unworthy sinners like you and me and a guy named Abram. And God steps in redemptively and graciously and tells Abram how we're going to move onward. The Lord said to Abram, Go! Do you detect any forward movement in that statement? Go from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house, all the things that were familiar to him. Go to the land that I will show you. Just underline that word land there. You're going to see it's a recurring theme as we lead up to Joshua and we get into Joshua. It's very important that you understand something about the land. This was the first promise that God made about this particular land. And we're going to find out it's called the, we refer to it as the promised land. We're going to find out later it's the land of promised rest. We're going to see that as well. But it's this reference to land. And notice Abraham was probably wondering like, Lord, what address do I punch into the GPS to actually get there? You weren't real specific. It's a land that I will show you. He didn't even know where exactly he was going, but he needed to obey the first command, go onward, I've got something next for you. It goes on, and I will make you a great nation. How do you do that, by the way? You have babies, and and this is the story that leads us all through Genesis about the family and the legacy of Abraham. And it says, I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Isn't that a great principle? We are blessed to be a blessing. We're not just blessed to enjoy and consume the blessing of God. We're blessed to be a blessing. And that's what God wanted to do in Abraham's life, to move him onward so that he could be blessed and he could be a blessing. And God wants to do the same thing. So we see the story of Genesis, the story of of, uh, Abraham's family. It plays itself out through the 50 chapters of our first book in the Bible. But we get to the very end of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and this is what happens. This great nation that had been grown from Abraham's legacy falls into and under attack by another nation. That nation was Egypt. Didn't know God, worshipped foreign and false gods, misdirected worship in Egypt, and Egypt enslaves the family of God known as Israel. That's how the book of Genesis ends. And so we move onward into the second book of the Bible, and we're introduced to a new hero, and his name is Moses. And God comes and speaks to Moses in Genesis, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, this is what God says I am the God of your father, and the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's almost as if he's saying, Hey, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, important, not ultimate. What is ultimate is God. It's almost as if God is saying, Next, next, next. God can use anyone, but He doesn't need anyone. It is all about God and His plan. He's moving onward 
through succeeding generations. And Moses, in response to what God had said, did something very wise. When you are confronted with a holy God, he hid his face. For he was afraid to look at God. It's a picture of of a humble heart that worships, understanding God is holy, I am not. I am in danger of being incinerated right now if it was not for the grace of God to shield me from His holiness. And so Moses had right relationship with God. It goes on and says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. Interestingly, the principle here is God hears our prayers. No matter what you are enslaved by, no matter what is causing your suffering, no matter matter how bad your boss, God hears our suffering. And in response, this is what God does. He says, I have come down. Aren't you grateful for a God who would come down to where we are in our captivity, in our slavery, in our sufferings? I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. There is the land again. And he describes it as a land flowing with milk and honey and Krispy Kreme donuts, and sorry, I editorialized there a little bit, but that's, well, you want to get me somewhere, just tell me there's some Krispy Kreme donuts, and I, I'm motivated to be there. And that was, that was, he was holding out to them something that was the ultimate pleasure, the place where God wanted to provide and to protect them in this place, but they were going to need to go onward from where they were to where God had promised they should be. So we go through the book of Exodus, And God does deliver them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea and they land in the wilderness. What should have been a few weeks' journey to this promised land turned into a 40-year ordeal. You know why? Because of this. They started grumbling, started complaining, started criticizing the leader. And says, God said, okay, all right, I'm putting you in timeout for a whole generation. Not one of these men, Deuteronomy chapter 1 says, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers except Caleb. We're going to learn about Caleb a little later in the book of Joshua, but Caleb was a guy who had a whole heart for God. It says, he will see it, and to him and to his children I will give this land on which he has trodden because he has wholly followed the Lord. He goes on. Moses is speaking and he's telling the people he's not going to get to go to the land either. Even with me, even with Moses, the Lord was angry on your account and said, you also shall not go in there. So Moses received the promise, but he didn't receive the land. The generation of Israel received the promise, but they didn't receive the land. They're waiting. And God was saying, you know what? Nobody of this generation under 40 years old is going to get to see the land. Your kids are going to get it, but you're not going to get it. You forfeited it. You forfeited it because of your disobedience. And so there's one other guy that's going to get to see the land. And we are introduced to him in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 38, Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun. 
Can you imagine being little Joshua, talking to your friends, and they're talking about their dads, and somebody says, Joshua, what's your dad's name? And he said, I'm the son of none. That's so unfortunate you don't have a father. No, no, his name is none. You're not the son of none. Well, his name is, he had to spell it out. Anyway, it was very confusing back in the day. So anyway, Joshua, the son of none, who stands before you, he shall enter. And so he gives Moses a charge to multiply leadership and says this, encourage him. He's going to need it. Encourage him for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. By the way, next week's message is all about how Moses encouraged uh, Joshua and multiplied leadership so that the next generation would have a great leader. So we're introduced to this guy named Joshua. And we finally get in our Bibles to the book of Joshua. Please open your Bibles to the first chapter of Joshua, the sixth book in the Bible. And we're introduced to uh, Joshua as this great leader. And so let me give you a little um, idea of what they're facing. We finally get onward to Joshua. Here's a crude map. I want you to imagine yourself as, as one of these people about to go into the land. Maybe you were born in Egypt. Your mom and your dad took you over the Red Sea and you wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness. And you're one of this next generation that's actually going to get to go over into the promised land. And you start noticing that that generation above you, they start dying of old age and other things and, and you start to get excited. It's like... You know, God said we couldn't go in until that generation was gone. And so there's this last remaining guy. And you're going by to check on him. Like, how you feeling today? Feel great. Go by a couple of weeks later. Got a little cough. Really? We're almost there. And so what's happening is we come to the first book, the first chapter of the book of Joshua. And this was the journey that they had taken. They had come through the Red Sea. And they'd come through the wilderness finally, and they are standing as the next generation of God's people, recipients of the promised land. They're standing on the east side of the promised land, about to cross over that very accurate picture of the Jordan River. The Jordan River was the boundary, and they were about to step over. They were going to have to go over into the Jordan River, and the entire nation is standing there, and that is the way the book of Joshua begins. Now, that's the end of the history. That's the end of the geography. If you think I told you all of that so that you could become a Bible fathead and get some information in your head, you missed the point. We're looking not for information. We are looking for instruction because what we need to understand is that Joshua is not just about ancient Israel, Joshua is about me, and it's about you. And the reason we know that is because of a commentary that the writer of Hebrews gives us on the book of Joshua. I don't have time to unpack all of it, but I want to introduce it to you. We're going to look at it more as we go through the series. I want you to see this from Hebrews. If you've got your Bible, open it to Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Do you see what this verse says? The promise still 
stands. There was a promise of land that was given to ancient Israel, but there is a promise that still stands for a place that God wants us today to enter. Now, when I say place, I am not talking about a geographical location on the map. It's not so much about a place of rest. It is about a person where we find rest. His name is Jesus Christ. Interestingly, the Old Testament Hebrew name that was translated into the term Joshua and the New Testament Greek name that's translated into the word Jesus, same name. And so as we read the book of Joshua, what we are looking for is how you and I can enter into this place of promise, this place of relief, this place of grace, this place of rest where our souls find satisfaction, where everything else leaves us restless. Are you restless this morning? After the end of the nine o'clock service, a senior from Notre Dame came up and just said, would you pray for me? My heart is so anxious. And I said, well, what's going on in your life? Well, first of all, she's a senior at Notre Dame. All right, that's enough. And there's this relationship that might be happening. I'm like, okay, I can understand why you, and you know, what's going to happen after you graduate? I don't quite know. All right, there's some there's some things that would cause restlessness. Is there anybody else around here who's not a senior at Notre Dame that are facing some things that are causing some restlessness in your soul? Do you understand that the book of Joshua is for you to go onward into a place of rest? And it is only in Jesus Christ that has done all of the work that has fulfilled all of the promise where we can find the place where God meets us at the point of our restlessness and in, in spite of all of the circumstances, we can rest knowing God is fully in charge, the calm assurance that God has this and that all of my pleasure, all of my enjoyment, all of my satisfaction will only be found in Him, not in a place, but in a person. The writer of Hebrews, look down at verse 8, in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 8. I want you to see it really quick. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, it's not about a place, it's about a person. Verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Do you see what this is saying? It's incredible. Strive to rest. Work really hard. Exhaust yourself to find the place of rest. So there's a sense in which Jesus has already provided the rest God has promised. There's also a sense in which we have not yet and never quite will until we are with Jesus in His kingdom experience the totality of all the rest God 
wants to give us. But in this day, remember, this is about me. There is a rest. And, and here's what he's saying. If you're restless, in some sense, somewhere in your soul, it is because of the same sort of disobedience that ancient Israel had that kept them out of the promised land. And so he says, be careful. Don't let sinful disobedience keep you from the place God wants you to dwell. And so that is all just an introduction to help you understand. When we're talking about land, we're not talking about dirt. We're not talking about somewhere in the Middle East over there. We're talking about a place God wants us to live and to enjoy and to abide. So I want to spend the rest of the time here applying all that truth because I was thinking about you and me this week as I'm putting this message together. I'm like, who cares about Joshua? Who should care? Who needs the message of Joshua? Who in our church needs to go onward from where they are to where God wants them to be? And so I thought about some guys. And I, I want you to understand, I want you to grasp what I mean every time I say the direction of the Christian life is, what is it? Onward. Did, did you get that? The direction of the Christian life is? Onward. So here's what I mean by onward. I want to ask you, do you have an onward orientation? Because some of you do not. And you need to get it before we leave church today. So here's what I mean. Onward is an attitude that continually propels forward movement and resists stagnation. So who am I thinking about? I'm thinking about this guy. Now, when I say I'm thinking about a guy, I, I'm not seeing a face. I'm not thinking of a name. I'm talking about a collection of people, hypothetical people. Could be a guy, could be a girl, definitely some teenagers. And uh, definitely some people in my family. And at times, definitely me. So I'm thinking of, I'm just thinking of this guy and you may be the guy. Are, are you the guy that thinks that getting saved being converted to Christ, becoming a Christian is the finish line? Because if it is, you may have stepped over into the promised land of forgiveness and grace and you are now in the family of God and yet you stopped the day after you got saved. If that's you, um, the direction of the Christian life is onward. You need some forward movement. You need to take the next step because God not only wants to justify you at a point in your life, God wants to begin a process of sanctification the rest of your life. And every day is an opportunity to get up and get going and get moving and enjoy the ride so that you finish the day in a better place than you were when you woke up. The direction of the Christian life is onward. Well, I hope you'll join us as we continue working our way through all 24 chapters of the book of Joshua in this new series from Pastor Trent called Onward. We'd also like to invite you to join us for a weekend worship service at one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana or St. Joseph, Michigan. You can find service times and campus locations on our website. And next weekend is our biggest celebration of the year at Harvest. It's Easter Sunday. We'd love for you to join us at a special location, downtown South Bend at the Century Center. 
Together, we'll celebrate the hope and joy found in Jesus, our risen Savior. For details, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.